to Revelation chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I'm, I'm going to ask you two quick questions this morning. That, that I'm going to ask you the questions first, and then we'll read the text. And I think you'll see why I'm asking the questions that I'm asking. Is there any situation or circumstance in your life where you are unashamed to sing publicly? Is there any situation or circumstance in your life where you are unashamed to sing publicly? I thought of a few for me. One is in the seventh inning stretch at a baseball game. And I just publicly and unashamedly sing, take me out to the ball game. But <laughs> we get one. Oh, man, I'm, I'm a little worried that we're getting an amen about baseball. Um, but uh, thank you, Terry. Um, another place. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And listen, listen, I am so publicly unashamed to sing happy birthday. I'll sing it to a complete stranger at a restaurant when they come out and say, hello, we got a birthday, we got a birthday. And I don't even know this person. And I unashamedly and publicly sing happy birthday to you. 36 years ago this past Tuesday, and I celebrated our wedding anniversary. Wait, did that sound right? Yeah. 36 years ago this past Tuesday? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Did you know that on our wedding, I sang to Jan? Anybody want me to re re that? Yeah, yeah. Look, the, <laughs> Babe, I publicly... I publicly and unashamedly sang to you. And it went something like this. Oh, no. <laughs> I've waited a lifetime to stand here. I wasn't gonna, I didn't think I'd get mushy. <laughs> Looking in your eyes, and now it's finally coming true. So that was a little part of, of that. Okay, um, so, so there are circumstances and situations, right, where even just in our culture, we publicly and unashamedly sing. I don't think in, in, in those, with the, with the baseball and with the happy birthday, I, I've never heard someone say, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't do happy birthday. Um, I just am not into singing. I've never heard anybody say that about happy birthday. I'm not seeing people at a baseball game go, eh, I'm just not too into singing. I, I, or, or this, how about this? You know, I just don't have a very good voice. So I'm going to sit out the seventh inning stretch. You know, I think I'm just going to sit that out. Kind of interesting how we are in, in our public world, aren't we? Um, well, Certainly, I'm sure that we would all agree that none of us here this morning are ashamed to regularly and publicly sing of our love of Jesus, are we? Second question. Is there anything or anyone in your life that you are so in awe of or so adore 
or so fear that you're compelled to outwardly express that awe or that adoration or that, or that fear by bowing your knees when they or that thing is present. Well, for me, I have to turn back to my wife. <laughs> um, we were talking about this. I asked her yesterday, honey, did I, when I proposed to you, it, this, is, this is a horror story that sometime if you ever want to have a cup of coffee, my precious wife put up with so much junk from me in our dating life and leading up to our engagement. I don't think that I, I, don't, I don't think I even, I just decided to propose. I've been, I've been afraid for so long, and I just, I just decided to propose. I didn't even have a ring. I gave her a stuffed animal. I mean, this was horrible. It was the worst proposal in the history of proposals, and I don't think I bowed my knee then. Ten years later, though, I'm starting to get a little game. And, um, and we went to Venezia's. We've been to Venezia's here in Midland. A wonderful romantic restaurant. Because uh, I wanted to try to, to, you know, to be a dude, a romance dude. And so I got her an anniversary band. And uh, so we're sitting there and having a great meal. And I've got the ring in my pocket. And finally it's time to, so I, I stand up. And I'm going to bow. I'm going to go down to a knee. And I put my hand on the table. And I'm leaning harder on the table than I realize. And I'm going to my knee. And the table flips up. <laughs> See, I, I try to do romance, but it ends up being no man's. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. But, but it was because, it was because, sweetheart, I just wanted, it's an expression of my devotion to you. It's a, a, an expression of my awe in, in the woman that you are, the grace that God has given me to have a bride like, like you. And it's an expression of my commitment to serve her all the days of my life. Not, so, I mean, you're, so I see your head shaking. Makes sense, right? Makes sense, yeah. You know what? There was another time I went to my knees. It was in 2010. I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got a heart attack, right? Call the nurses. Um, and, and it was when the Saints won the Super Bowl. And Tracy Porter returned an interception, 74 yards. He intercepted Peyton Manning. And, and, and so he's intercepting the ball. And it's, look, it's like it's guaranteed. It looks like, oh, this, the Saints are marching in. They are marching in. Now, I don't even think anyone was home. My dad had just died uh, just, not, not, uh, just a month before that. And here's, here's Tracy Porter running with the football. And I'm sitting on the couch, and I went from the couch. Yes, yes, this is this is great. But there's no one to high five, right? It was it was crazy, but I was doing it. So it's amazing the things that will compel us to even go to my to our knees. The other is way more sober. It was when my dad died. He died during the middle of the night. And earlier that evening, he called me and asked if I'd come over to his apartment and stay with him. And I didn't. And we get a call about three or four in the morning. I went to my knees for two reasons. One, I love my dad like crazy, so there was grief. But you know what else there was? There was guilt. 
it's amazing the things that you fear sometimes, the things that you're afraid of. How am I going to go forward? It's, isn't it amazing how sometimes those things take us to our knees too? You know where it happened again? Some of you guys remember John Nichols. If you're newer, um, John, John was like a father figure to me and to many of us. And I got the news that John died. And I fell to my knees. I wasn't ready. I know he was ready. I wasn't ready. He had such a vision, you guys, for the growth of our church. He was such an example of a husband who loved his wife the way Christ loves the church. And he was such a deacon, servant-hearted man for our church. And, and you just go, how, how are we going to get on without John? So those are some situations, right? Well, certainly then, uh, wouldn't we all say that in awe and adoration and reverent fear, we certainly would be no stranger to humbling our pride and going to our knees in worship of the crucified Lamb. That's where we're going to read our text this morning. The main point you see in your notes is this, and I, I put the main point out here so you can see if that you agree that's what the text is saying. The conquering lion is the crucified lamb and is worthy of all our worship. The conquering lion is the crucified lamb and is worthy of all our worship. Would you stand with me as I read God's inspired, inerrant, holy, authoritative, soul-saving, and life-changing word? Revelation chapter 5, in verse 1. And then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, oh, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song 
saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're we're not just asking you to help us be expressive Christians this morning. Would you help us to see what John saw through the eyes of scripture this morning. And would you help us to have affections because of what John saw. Help us to have the affections that paying attention to the lamb will bring. And we pray that those affections, the adoration, even right now we're praying, God, we, we have been enamored and in awe of so many things that don't deserve it like an interception. Oh my goodness. I would so freely give myself to something like that and I would so hesitatingly give myself to great abandon to follow you and serve you regardless of the cost. So God, we're we're just asking, God, that that you would do a work in our hearts that that we would be compelled to express before a watching world so that the world could see that Jesus is worthy of all praise and all devotion. So please change us from the inside out. We ask these things in Jesus' wonderful, holy, powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, the the outline was pretty easy uh, to follow to, to develop this morning. It just almost falls out of the text. So point number one, we're going to look at the scroll and the seals. And the question is asked, is anyone worthy? And that's going to make a lot more sense to you when we, when we get to, to understanding what, what is the scroll and the seals? What, what is that all about? So this is really the second half of, of an ongoing vision that we started studying last week in chapter 4. We saw God reigning in sovereign grace upon his throne and everything else in the room revolved around him. And every, everyone in that room was worshiping him very expressively, but it coming from hearts that were in awe of him and adored him and reverently feared him. In chapter 5, the scene is still the same throne room. So we're looking through that open door that we started looking through last week. And please read Revelation 4 if, you're, if you weren't with us last week. It'll bless your heart. But, but this morning, it's, it's as though the lens narrows and God is wanting us to focus in on a specific part 
of what is happening in that throne room. It's calling us to focus in on the right hand of God and to look at what he's holding. And it's a scroll, and it's written on both front and back, meaning it's comprehensive, it's specific, it's authoritative, and it's the most important document that anyone could ever hope to have. It's ultimately important. So the, the scroll, it contained all of God's unstoppable plans and purposes for both the redemption of God's people as well as the judgment of those who reject and revile him. This scroll contained how God will bring all of human history to its appointed end for his glory and the eternal good of his people. Precious ones, if you've kind of bought the world's lie that, that history is just circular, no, 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 it's not. Since creation, since the fall of man, since the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit, God is moving all of history toward its glorious appointed end. That's, that's hopeful. And, but you're going to see. So listen to what I just said. You're going to see why this felt so heavy that it, it, when, when it talks about weeping here, it's talking about ugly crying. This is, the, this is the heaving, sobbing that really we only encounter when something is so grievous there seems to be no hope for the future. So that's kind of where this is going to be going. This is about the eternal good of his people. This is about the final judgment of all sin. This is about the conquering and destruction of all evil. But it was sealed. It was sealed. Well, God had shown some of these great things to Daniel. I mean, we've, if you're visiting with us today, we studied the book of Daniel before we studied Revelation because so much of Daniel informs our understanding of Revelation. And God had shown some of these things to Daniel, but uh, it was not a time for the things to be shown. So you can go back and look at it later in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. So God says, so seal up the book. Seal up. What, what, what will be happening at the end of time because it wasn't time yet. The end times had not begun yet in the times of Daniel. During those days, as a sign of importance and authority, the documents would be sealed with, with wax, and when the wax was still moist, you've heard of this, this illustration, the king would take his signet ring and stamp it in the wax. This is, this is a key. This is a key. This is saying the scroll is sealed in such a way that only the person with the right authority can break the seal and open the scroll. But it's even more than that. Depending on how royal or important the authority figure was and who sealed the scroll and how important the writing was inside the scroll, the scroll could have more than one seal. Well, this one has seven seals. Meaning, remember seven, so much symbolism in, in Revelation. Seven is that number of completion, of perfection. Everything about history coming to its appointed end is in this book, this scroll. So it's got seven seals. The more important and the more authority the leader had, the more seals would be on the scroll. But the scroll, it's not just to be read. It wasn't just, I'm curious what's inside. You know, just, if we could just take a peek at it. It wasn't about... It wasn't about the scroll 
just being read. The issue was that the person opening the seals actually had the power to enact and fulfill all that was written in the scroll. So now you're going to see, is anyone worthy? And you're going to see why there's weeping. Because if no one is worthy, if no one is found that could have the authority and holiness and purity, and we're going to see why he's able to open the scroll here in just a minute. If, if there's not someone found to do that, then there's no cure. There's no, there's no end to human suffering. There's no judgment of evil. There's no vindication of wrong. This isn't just about reading a book. This is about someone coming who in himself has the authority and power and wisdom and love and might and righteousness to be able to execute everything, to, to, to get it done. Put it in West Texas, to get her done. That's what we need. We need somebody who can get her done from a heavenly standpoint. And if the seals were not open, then God's purposes would not come to pass. So verse 2 is a challenge. A mighty angel speaks, and it's so mighty that his voice is heard throughout, throughout vacation. Oh my goodness. His voice could, could not, it was heard throughout vacation. I need to hear that voice on vacation. It's really, it make my vacations way better. Throughout all of creation, is anyone worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? Is anyone worthy to break the seal, open the scroll, and bring about all of God's plans for redemption and judgment? Second point, the silence and the sorrow. Is paradise lost? Kind of borrowing. Is that John Milton? Thank you. I just, after saying vacation, I, I thought I better not try his last name. <laughs> the silence and the sorrow. Is paradise lost? This angel was not only strong. This angel had never sinned. This angel had never joined Satan in his rebellion against God. Yet not even a mighty, sinless angel could open the scroll. Four living creatures could not open the scroll. The 24 elders could not. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, Daniel, Isaiah could not. Peter, James, and John, and Paul could not. Is there anyone who would be so exalted, so pure, so glorious, so holy, so powerful, so, so mighty to be able to approach God, first of all, right? To be able to approach God, the sovereign almighty God, and to take the book and break the seals and bring God's purposes to pass. And there's, there's in, this, in this, this realm between verse 2 and verse 3, I think we're supposed to feel the silence. So I'm, I'm, let's just be silent. And I hope you'll think about why. Because I'm going to get to our hearts here in just a minute. Because you and I are not strangers to this feeling with every crisis that comes our way. We're no strangers to this. I want you to just stop. You're hoping. This is, this is a mess. 
This is a mess. Satan is prowling. Sin is dominating. Evil governments are, are persecuting. This, this is a mess. This is a mess. Is anyone, is anyone worthy? worthy and no one in all creation is found worthy and verse 4 says I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll so that's where I get this is is paradise lost does this mean God's purposes in judgment and redemption will not happen is no one capable of bringing history to its ordained end is there no one who can take authority over history and ensure that God's enemies will be judged and his people vindicated? Will evil win after all? Is there no stopping Satan's schemes and silencing the devil's lies? Does this mean evil will go unpunished? And everything robbed and stolen from God's people will never be restored? Does this mean people from every ethnic group on earth will not be saved? Oh, this would got to me. I just thought... Oh my goodness, I don't know that I've ever ugly cried at the thought of no one else getting saved. Please, God, please change my heart. Please change my heart. Godless, wicked governments can carry out unjust wars, bomb women's and children's hospitals, and there's no consequences. There's no end to abortion. There's no end to cancer. No end to death. There's just going to be a river of tears for the rest of time. No restoration of all things. No new heaven and new earth. Nothing being made brand new. Does this mean there's no ultimate purpose for trials and sorrows? That God will not work all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Is that what this means? Don't you feel this sometimes? Don't you fear, have fear and worry about where human history is going? Parents, come on, let's do a parent heart to heart. Don't you sometimes freak out a little bit about the world your children are growing up in? Man, is anybody worthy? I think, I think that what hurts the human heart and the human condition more than just pain and sorrow and death and loss. I mean, I, I was praying for the parents of those golfers from uh, Hobbs from the college, Southwest uh, Christian College. I was thinking about them. As horrible as, as, as the the premature, we would say, I guess, death of, of college son or daughter is what is more hurtful? Is there any purpose? Even unbelievers do that, don't they? Don't unbelievers say, why? And they, we, they raise their fist at God. Sometimes believers raise our fist at God. I'm already hurting here, but what makes this pain worse is that there's no overcoming it. There's no, no good replacing evil. There's no righteousness replacing unrighteousness. You felt that, haven't you? We've all felt that. 
And that's why we can stand with John. That's why this text, you guys, is so relevant, especially with the, with the time we're living in right now. This, we need this text. And isn't it good to know God is coming and he's saying, I know exactly where you are. And I, I know exactly your fears and your worries. John felt it too. And paradise is not lost. John certainly felt it because he was exiled to Patmos. Persecution was just starting and increasing. It would only get worse. Even the best of the seven churches had struggles. And Is there just no hope for Christian endurance through trials? Is there no hope for power to overcome temptation and the seductions of the world? I just want to ask you this morning, what part of your life has felt like that recently? Because, because this text is to give you great hope. This text is to really comfort a lot of hearts this morning. If you're here in your heart, you just, you're just kind of bored with this. Oh my God, you're in danger. This text is meant to convict you and call you to your knees in repentance for your apathy against the God who loves you dearly. Well, you heard the answer, right, in our silent room. The answer's not going to come from government. It's not going to come from a different president. It's not going to come from money. It's not going to come from oil. It's not going to come from education. It's not going to come from human strength or wisdom. The silence and the sorrow won't go away because you're ignoring it. <laughs> because you're numbing it with entertainment or with sex or with alcohol or drugs. Well, thankfully, the silence is shattered with a shout of victory. There is someone worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. So here's the third point this morning. The lion and the lamb. The crucified conqueror is worthy. And we see that in verses 5 through 7. So the angel comes rushing. I had to picture, you'll be reading this maybe in some Lenten devotions leading up to Good Friday and Easter. Isn't that such a beautiful picture where, where the, the angels come when Jesus has been resurrected and the people are weeping and the angels say, don't cry. <laughs> Weep no more. The angel says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So now we're going, we're, we're going some biblical theology here. In Genesis 49, as the, as the, the sons are being blessed uh, by their dad, uh, Jacob, Judah is highlighted as the one, as the tribe that the messianic king would come from. And, and that's what this is saying. God's kept his promises He's not letting one promise fail. This is the conquering lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the promised king from the messianic tribe. And then it goes on to say he's the root of David, meaning that this king is so great. So King David was given a lot of the notoriety, right? One of the greatest kings of Israel. Actually, what he's saying, you know, he's, he's saying this king is actually the root of David, <laughs> meaning what? King David finds his origins in this king because this king actually made David. This is, the, this is the one who created all things. 
That's the one we're talking about here. He has triumphed. He has overcome. But we should say then how? How did he overcome? Is, is he just like today with bully governments and just let's just get let's just threaten people with all of our nuclear armaments and all of our our speed of sound missiles and our numbers of troops? Is is it just by sheer force that we that this this king overcomes? How did he conquer? And what did he conquer? And then we see the lamb. John turns to see the lion, but now doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb? Well, it's because the lion is the lamb. The lion is the lamb. How did the lamb conquer? Through the sacrifice of his life to save sinners from the judgment their sins deserve. To bruise the serpent's head and to rise again to give new and eternal life to his people. Listen, precious ones, oh, this is an exciting thought. You're born again. Don't we love that, that passage that says, for we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that? You know why you should love it even more? Because your salvation is a testament that God is, that this, this, this conquering lion lamb is worthy to open the seal, to break the, the seals and open the scroll. He's worthy to bring about the God-appointed end of all of history. And your salvation is the first, is part of the first tastes of all things being made new. Did you ever stop to think about that? Your salvation isn't just, oh, I get to go to heaven. Your salvation is a testimony that right there in your chair, God is giving you a witness that he will indeed make all things new. <sighs> That's, that really encourages my heart. Because I don't look at my salvation like that. I look at all that's wrong with me. And I just look at all that needs to change. And, and God reminds me, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get some things straight. You're a new creation because the lamb conquered sin, judgment, death, hell, and the grave through his death for you. And the salvation I've given you is a down payment. It's a deposit. And you, you are you are just tasting of what it means to be a new creation, there's coming a day when all will be made new. You won't have this rotten, un rebellious body that wants to sleep late. Not, I mean, oh my goodness, nothing wrong with sleeping late. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That, that just is slow to obey, that's more interested in temporary satisfaction than eternal glory to God and, and joy for people. Oh my goodness. So this is just really, really great news. So Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will vindicate the righteous, destroy the wicked, and conquer the world because he suffered and died. It wasn't just to get us to heaven. And like him, as we learn later in Revelation, and this is so important, it's one of the most important parts of Revelation. Please hear this because of all the prosperity garbage that's out there. And about, if you were, if you were more, uh, if you had more faith, you wouldn't suffer. If you had more faith, you wouldn't be sick. If you had more, oh my goodness. We are overcomers, precious ones, in him who loves us. And you know how we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony about the blood of the lamb and about, about overcoming the same way he did. How did he overcome? He died. He sacrificed. And that's why that next part is, 
and by not loving our lives even unto death. We're going to get to there in Revelation. It's coming. It's coming. That's how we overcome. That's how we overcome. The same way Jesus overcame for us. This is the lamb that has been slain. This is, you just start to hear the, the whispers of Isaiah 53 and, and the lamb that was slain for, for the chastisement of our peace was upon him. But our transgress, he was bruised for our transgressions. I mean, all of the Isaiah 53, this is John the Baptist saying, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb is standing in this scene even though he has been obviously slain. The, the, the literal word is slaughtered. He was slaughtered at the cross, but he's risen from the dead and he's standing either in the center of the throne or to the right hand of the throne because it's showing us that the lamb is God the son. Only only the deity, only God could open the seals and break the seals and open the scroll. So God desires to help us overcome by knowing Christ as both lion and lamb. And you need to know them both, precious ones. When you suffer and hurt, you need more than just a powerful king to rule over you. Don't you need comfort and assurance? Aren't you glad Jesus is the lamb? But you're also weak and fearful and sinful and needing wisdom and direction and strength. And you need, just, you need someone to do more than just comfort you. You need conquering power and strength. You sin and struggle, and so you need a lamb who can help you deal with the guilt. And you also need a lion who can empower you to stand against the temptation that has been just, just holding on to your ankle for years and, and the evil and the seduction that comes against you. Oh, he's strong and tender, precious ones. He's mighty and merciful, isn't he? He has seven eyes, so here we go again. Don't draw this. This is not what Jesus looks like. Did he somehow change when he went to heaven? He has seven eyes. No, he sees all things perfectly. And he will see to it that you arrive safely home. Omniscient and omnipresent is what this is speaking about. And in seeing all things clear, you, talk, you see how he's the one who's giving the Holy Spirit into the world. Because there's not one square inch of this universe that God doesn't own and rule over. And so that's what this is saying. He will bring God's appointed end to pass. The seven horns are, are speaking of the perfection of power. He's the omnipotent one. There, there is no rival. No one can rival him. Now, can you imagine the impact of the lion and the lamb on the seven churches? So let's don't lose sight of the, of the context, right? Here you have seven churches who perfectly represent either things we're currently going through or things we will go through. Can you imagine how it would be to your heart to see the lion, lamb, when you're suffering, and, 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 and the Lord says, well done, but then he says, the suffering's going to get worse. And, and, and you know, play, as we go into chapter six in a couple weeks, we need this vision. You're going to need this vision. I'll be able to stand even if suffering endures longer than I ever dreamed because the lamb has conquered. He's conquered. Can you imagine if you're an apathetic, sleepy, 
dead, almost dead church? Don't they need to see this glorious picture of a of roaring lion who will judge those who reject him? But that's not his desire. His desire is to die for the sinner and save them. What about you? What impact do you need this text? How, how would this text apply to where you've been wondering, is there any reason for my ongoing illness? Am I, is there no hope? Is Russia just going to keep going? Is there going to be a third world war? It seems like there's just... What about my kids? It changes things when we know is anyone worthy? Yes. And we look at the lion who is the lamb slain for our worst problem. And that was our sin and judgment that sin deserved. Well, last point. Verse, fourth point, the singing and the submission. The lamb is worthy of our worship. And this is verses 8 through 14. So he takes the scroll from the right hand of God. The four living creatures and 24 elders fall down before the lamb, each holding a harp, uh, which, which is, <laughs> this was helpful to me. Because when I was first reading that, just at face value, I'm going, I, I might be prone to sleeping during this. It's just, you know, just, I mean, praise, if you're, oh, I'm sorry, if you play the harp, It, it, I'm, I've dug a hole I can't get out of. Yeah, if you play the harp in, in an orchestra setting, in a symphony setting, oh, how wonderful. That's not the kind of harp this is. This is a harp with a rhythm. This, this is, this, and then you can just go and study this out for yourself. This is a, an instrument of joy. This has, this has tempo. This, is, this kind of stirs something on the inside of you. There's praise. You know, I, I tell our worship team a lot. I, I love our worship team members because out of, either out of their instruments or out of their mouth, they, they express their heart of love for Jesus. And that's what this harp is doing. It, it's expressing praise to the King of Kings. Each had golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is what's, this is a precious part of this. We don't, can't go into it a ton right now, but it'll come up later in the book of Revelation. Do you realize that the conquering lamb is the one who is guaranteeing that your prayers are heard by the Lord? <laughs> Jesus paid it all to give you a prayer life so that you could, and that you could go to the Lord knowing you and I are going to pray pretty weird prayers sometimes, kind of off-base prayers sometimes, selfish prayers sometimes, unbiblical prayers sometimes, but they're going to reach a loving father who's going to even use your act of praying to, to change your life and to change your heart. And so this is sweetness to the Lord, and Jesus paid for that privilege. At the sound of such gloriously great news, there's only one appropriate response, and that's singing. That is singing. The truth of who Christ is and what he has done is meant to result in worship. I love this. Sam Storms, this is just said so well. It's in your notes. The ultimate goal of theology isn't knowledge, but worship. If our learning and knowledge of God do not lead to the joyful praise of God, we failed. We learn only that we learn only that we might laud. 
which is to say that theology without doxology, without praise, is idolatry. The only theology worth studying is a theology that can be sung. Amen? Amen, Patty. Remember we were talking yesterday just about our singing in church. And oh, I, that's, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to have a personal moment with Patty. Um, but it was, it was just cool. Some things Patty said yesterday in the class. And they sang a new song. This was not just praising God. There were songs praising God for his creation. There were songs praising him from earthly enemies. But this song is new because it's praising him for redeeming the lost and promising full and final restoration. That's this new song. And it's saying you're worthy because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. This isn't just the possibility of people being saved. This is the guarantee that people would be saved from every ethnic group on the, on the face of the earth. And we were purchased for God. It wasn't just redeemed from sin. You were redeemed for God. You were, you were his prized possession. I, I, even, I almost stumble even saying that knowing what a goober I am I'm your prized possession when I think God would say well, well no you're not all that but who you are in Jesus you're my prized possession I've redeemed you for myself you made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth there's authority to represent him and affection to serve him that he gives us. And this choir sings of God's majesty. The adoration of the lamb just moves out in ever-widening circles. Did you notice that in verses 11 through 13? It's almost like a ripple effect. I don't know if you've been in a... I was trying to think of how this could be in a, in a stadium when the wave goes. You know, it starts at one part, but then it starts to kind of ripple out into the stadium. And you're kind of almost... It's, it's a funny thing. <laughs> You're kind of watching, you're going, oh, and here comes another, it's a wave. What's happened? It's a wave. You know, but then something's happening. The, the people are getting excited, and, it, and it, there seems to be a growing volume happening. And by the time, here I am, Mr. Just Another Wave. Ah, yes, I mean, it just, this is fantastic, because there's something contagious about people who are in awe of their God. There's something contagious about it. And that's what's happening here. There's this, this worship, this praise, this adoration, this bowing, this humbling of human pride, this joy in him. It's, it's just moving forward. Myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands of angels join in. Every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth joins in and begins to praise the Lamb Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. One, they're ascribing to Jesus all that he already is. They're just kind of describing all that he already is, all that he already possesses. But I think there's another element to this that, that worship isn't just singing, right? So don't get, please don't go in the direction I didn't intend this to go. Worship includes singing, and I don't think you could say it's less than singing. It's not just singing, though. It's submission. Our whole lives are to be lives of worship. You know, I think a better phrase for us to say is um, that we're coming to worship on Sundays. No, no, not according to Scripture. Not according to Romans 12 that talks about us being um, living sacrifices. You know how we should be coming on Sundays? We should be coming worshiping. 
We're coming, worshiping. We're going to our workplace tomorrow, worshiping. We're in adoration and our affections are stirred. And, and we're trusting in God to give me the strength for all that I need to do to be a light in the darkness and to do excellent work, to honor my supervisors, to bless those who, who I serve. Oh, God. Oh, God. So it's not just singing, it's submission. And J.I. Packer gets to this. Look at your notes. Theology is for doxology and devotion. That is the praise of God and the practice of godliness. It should therefore be presented in a way that brings awareness of the divine presence. Theology is at its healthiest when it's consciously under the eye of God, of whom it speaks, and when it's singing to his glory. C.T. Studd said it so simply. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, is there anything too great for me to give to him? Material things. Any blessing I have, any strength I have. So you go back and look at those words, and you're going, oh my goodness, Lord, I trust you with it all. I'll go anywhere you ask. I know you're a good, good father, and I know he opened the seals. Josh, would you come, and, and we'll prepare to close this morning in singing. Verse 13 said, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, there's no living thing that's silent. And I, I, I think God intended Sundays to be a rehearsal of this day. I think every Sunday, you know, so these guys come. Josh, what time did the worship team get here this morning? So we had a meeting before. It's like 8 o'clock. The worship team, 9. Okay, so they get here early to rehearse. But actually, Sundays is a time of all of us rehearsing. All of us engaging. If, if you're not seeing an invitation in this text to you personally to recognize, pay attention to the Lamb, worship's not going to come if you don't pay attention. You can't, this is not just going to happen because of a slick music or Joshua doing some cool thing on the drums or Eric doing the, you know, on the keyboard. Oh, it's not, oh, it's Michelle. Was Eric over there? Yes. Um, worship becomes because we give constant attention to him. You cannot give constant attention to the Lord without there being a growing affection for him. It's impossible. And so if you're lagging behind in, in affection for Jesus, are you paying attention? Affection, attention, adoration, devotion. Let's stand as we bring this to, to a close. I think what, just one other point I want to toss out to you. This is where all redemptive history is moving. What does that mean? Never ending worship. This is what eternity is going to look like, guys. This is what God wants to do in our hearts to start helping us taste it now. I'll close. I'll close with that. Josh, I'll come back and close this one.